Let me read to you Daniel chapter 7, starting in verse 7. Daniel says, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth, it devoured and broke in pieces, and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Now I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Now as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Now as for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. Until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth, and trample it down, and break it to pieces." As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Now, we're going to take some time tonight to break down this section. The verses that cover 
the Jesus being handed the kingdom and the judgment of the beast will all be dealt with next week. We're not going to cover those verses. So verses 9 through uh, 14, we will probably be skipping over tonight in our study, but I, I, you need to see them because they're, they're connected a little bit to where we're going tonight. If you remember when we were last together a couple weeks ago, we saw that Daniel had a vision, which was very similar to Nebuchadnezzar's dream that we saw in chapter 2 of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar had been given a dream in which there was a head of gold, a statue that had a head of gold, a chest of silver, midsection of bronze, legs of iron, and then its feet was made up of iron and clay with ten toes. And as you know, in the vision, a stone which was cut out by no human hand came and struck the feet of that statue and the whole thing fell. The interpretation was given to Nebuchadnezzar by God through Daniel that he, or Babylon, was the head of gold and after them was going to come a lesser kingdom, the silver portion, which was Medo-Persia. Then after that was going to be a lesser kingdom and that was the, the one of bronze, which we found out later on was Greece. And then after that came the Roman, the legs of iron was the Roman empire. And if you know anything about history, that was the empire that was in charge of the whole globe at the time that Jesus came to this earth. Rome was in power, even though the Jews were allowed to be in their land and to have some authority religiously, Rome was in power and the Romans were the ones who actually put Jesus to death. Of course, we all did because of our sin, but after that point, though, there's really not been any world power over the whole globe. And during this time that we call the church age, God's kind of put Israel on hold. He's put his plan on hold. But there's going to be a rebuilding of that fourth kingdom, the Roman kingdom. Remember, that statue had legs of iron, but then the feet were made up of iron and clay with ten toes. And the Jesus, the stone cut out by no human hand, came and struck the feet. There's going to be a rebuilding of this kingdom. And now in Daniel's vision, Daniel's given a vision about these kingdoms as well, but he's given visions and they're like animals. The first one was a lion. And we saw in our study last time we were together that the lion again represented Babylon. Then after that came a, a bear, which had one side higher than the other. And we compared that with Daniel chapter 8 and the ram and how the ram had two horns and one was greater than the other. We looked at how history showed us that that was the Medo-Persian kingdom and how the Persian side was a little bit greater than the Medo-Persian, but they were together. And then after that came the leopard and we saw how that was Greece and how it paralleled when Daniel's writing about it in chapter 8 as well as to how Alexander the Great's kingdom was divided into four kingdoms to his generals. And we saw how the, all those prophecies have been literally fulfilled. And then in Daniel's vision, though, as we just saw here tonight, there was a fourth beast. But the fourth beast was such that he couldn't say it looked like any kind of animal. Actually, it didn't look like anything he had seen before, and it was terrifying. And it devoured and trampled underfoot everything that it conquered. Now, we're going to see, and I'm going to show you this from Scripture tonight, it's referring a little bit to the Roman kingdom which came after Greece, but at the same time, it's really pointing more to the rebuilding of the Roman kingdom. This fourth kingdom is going to be back in power at the very, very end, and it's coming soon. We're going to touch on a lot of that stuff tonight. But the, during the rebuilding, if you will, is when Jesus is going to come and defeat this one last kingdom. And we're, I want you to see tonight that the Bible says that this one last world kingdom is going to happen. One world power is going to happen. And just like the prophecies about the other kingdoms have been literally fulfilled, this last one will be as well. So turn with me, though, and look at Daniel chapter 2. 
We'll go back to Daniel chapter 2 and look at verses 31 through 35. By the way, as you're turning to Daniel 2, I'm sure some of you know more about history than I do, but I've done a little study and I found that as much as the Alexander the Great and the Greek kingdom conquered a whole lot of area and they covered it fast, they were kind of merciful to the people that they conquered. And actually, when the Babylonians came in, they didn't wipe everybody out. They took them captive and whatever. At the same time, the Medo-Persian kingdom came in and took over and they were merciful as well. As you know, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego continue in power and all. And the Greeks were the same way, but the Roman conquering was a lot different. When the Romans took over after Greece, they would just slaughter people, make them slaves. And it was, it was pretty treacherous. It was a picture, let me just tell you, a picture of what is to come. The rebuilding of the Roman Empire, according to the prophecies of Scripture, is going to be so wicked and so severe. Well, Jesus put it this way in Matthew 24. If God doesn't cut those days short, if this one last world power is in control, if God doesn't cut those days short, no human being will survive. That's how bad it's going to be. Now, look at Daniel 2. Look at verses 31 through 45, because this will help us with our understanding of this fourth beast. In Daniel chapter 2, starting in verse 31, Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, and the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell you, the king, its interpretation. You, O king, king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell the children of man, the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Now another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things, and like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it. Just as you saw iron mixed with soft clay, and as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. Listen closely. And in the days of those kings, the ten toes, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. Listen closely, folks. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. 
So at some point, there's going to be a rebuilding of the Roman Empire in which there's going to be ten kings or ten kingdoms that come together to form this. And as we saw tonight, we, in Daniel's vision of the fourth beast, it had seven heads, but it also, well, we'll get to the seven heads in just a second in Revelation, but it had ten horns on top of it. But then an eleventh horn started growing up, and three of those other horns came out or were removed when this other horn came up. And that horn had eyes and mouth like a man, and it spoke blasphemous stuff and was pretty, pretty haughty. And, and Daniel was wanting to know about this, this one horn, and we're going to talk about that one horn tonight as well. So here we see that in the rebuilding of the Roman Empire, there's going to be a re regathering, if you will, of the Roman Empire, but it's going to be made up of 10 kingdoms and 10 kings are going to come together to help form it. And what did Daniel chapter 2 verse 44 say? And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. All right, go with me to Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17, we're going to start with verse 3, and then we'll jump to verses 12 through 17. When is Jesus going to come and set up his kingdom on the earth? In the days of what? Those kings, the ten kings in the rebuilding of the Roman Empire. But look at Revelation 17, look at verse 3, and then we'll jump to verses 12 through 17. Revelation 17, verse 3. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. Jump to verse 11. Sorry, verse 12. Jump to verse 12. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power. But they are to receive authority as kings for one hour or a short period of time together with the beast. They are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those with him are called chosen and faithful. So here, does anybody know when John wrote the book of Revelation, roughly what year it was? Around 95, 96 A.D. So we're talking Jesus has already been on the earth. He's already died on the cross. He's already risen from the dead. The church age has been going on now for about 60 plus years. And so 60 plus years later, John's exiled to the Isle of Patmos and Jesus shows up on that island and reveals to him what we know now is the book of Revelation. He's told to write what he sees on the island and the vision of Jesus. Then he's told to write about what uh, he's told, which is the message to the churches in chapters two and three. And then if we get to chapter four of Revelation, remember he sees a door open in heaven in the same voice that he heard speaking on the earth. He sees in heaven and that voice says, come up here. I'm gonna show you what's gonna take place after this. And then from that point on, John is kind of carried up above the earth and he watches what goes on during the tribulation period we now know it as, the seven-year period of Daniel 9 that we'll get to when we get to Daniel 9. And he sees what happens on the earth. And in 95 AD, many, many, many years after Daniel had written what he wrote here in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel says in Daniel 2, under God's inspiration, that in the days of those kings is when Jesus is going to come, the ten kings, is he's going to come and set up his kingdom. Yet hundreds and hundreds of years later, John writes and says, those kings haven't received power yet. It's still to happen. It's going to happen. 
Now, be real careful of trying to figure out who the Ten Kingdoms are and, and trying to figure, is it, is it the European Union? Be careful. For years, prophecy people, when the European Union started, started saying, it's the European Union, and it may be, we don't know. But then all of a sudden, they started counting all the nations that added, and then all of a sudden, they got to 10, and they're like, okay, watch out, there's 10. Then they had, then it was 11, then it was 12, and 15, and, and then there was a Brexit, and England left, and we, you'll hurt yourself trying to figure it out. Know what the scripture says, and it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Go to Revelation 13. Look at verses 1 through 10. But as much as Jesus, by the way, as you're turning to Revelation 13, as much as Jesus rules and reigns in our lives and our hearts right now, the kingdom is still to come. The kingdom is still to come. Revelation 13, look at verses 1 through 10. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was, look closely, like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth, a mixture of all those previous kingdoms. And to it, the dragon that Satan gave his power and his throne and great authority. And one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. That's three and a half years. And it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And it was also allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, just like we read in Daniel. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is the call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Now, Again, like I said, Rome was the world power for a while after Greece. They were even in power when Jesus came to the earth the first time, but Rome fell. And during this time in history that we know as the, what we call the church age or the times of the Gentiles, Israel and God's final plan for her are on hold. We're in a time period right now that's, a, if you call it a pause, if you will, in God's plan and timetable for all of man's history. But the Bible says there comes a point when the church age or the times of the Gentiles comes to an end. And the reason it comes to an end is because God has to finish all the promises he made to the nation of Israel and fulfill all those prophecies. And folks, the stage is being set and we are closer than we've ever been. And I want you to just believe that as much as the Daniel prophecies about the other kingdoms all happen, so will the final prophecies about this one last kingdom. Let me ask you a quick question before we go any further. Would you not agree that the world right now is trying their best to make a one world government because they think that'll solve it? I mean, they're coming up with all these different ways of taking a North American, South American, making them a continent. And, but actually, the world, there, there are people behind the scenes who are plotting a one world government. Listen, it is going to happen. It is going to happen. The Bible says it will. And we in the church should not be out there trying to stop it. We in the church should be about telling people about Jesus, how you can escape the wrath that's to come, how you can be a part of those who aren't here during that time. But if the church spends all their time trying to stop it, it's like we're saying, we want Jesus to be wrong. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. 
So what we need to understand is, Lord, what would you have me be doing in this time period, being faithful to share and to live out what it means to trust you and to follow you? Back in Deuteronomy, write this down and go look at it later on. Deuteronomy chapter 32. You go back and look at Deuteronomy 32. You'll see that back at the beginning of the nation of Israel's history, well, at least around the beginning of the time when he takes them out of Egypt and brings them into the promised land, God lays out for the whole nation of Israel in chapter 32 of Deuteronomy their whole history. He says ahead of time, you're going to do this, and then I'm going to do this, and then you're going to do this, and then I'm going to do this. And their whole history is laid out. It's amazing. And he says something very interesting that you're going to see in just a second, uh, quoted later on in the book of Romans. He says to them in Deuteronomy 32, 21, he says, you all are going to go after other gods and make me jealous I'm going to take a people you don't consider a people, and I'm going to make you jealous. Go with me to Romans chapter 11. Like I told you, Israel right now is on hold. God's plan for all the kingdoms of the earth is on schedule. But he's doing something different right now, what we call the church age, which, by the way, hasn't replaced God's plan for Israel. Salvation has always been by faith alone and God's provision for man's sin. It's always been that way in the Old Testament and the New. He's not an Old Testament God and a different God in the New Testament. It's always been the same. But in Romans chapter 11, Paul asks this question. Look at verses 1 through 6. He says, I ask then, has God rejected his people, meaning the Jews, by no means? For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? God says, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And so too, at the present time, there's a remnant chosen by grace. But if it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So Paul asked this question. He says, is God done with the nation of Israel? Because he's doing the church thing now. Is it about the church and the church is, in the, is the kingdom being fulfilled in the church? Is he done with Israel? The answer is no. They've been put on hold. You're going to see that in just a second. Jump with me down to uh, verse 11, Romans chapter 11, starting in verse 11. He says, so I ask, did they, the Jews, stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, I'm going to stop real quick, and then we're going to pick back up here in this section of Romans. Listen closely. If you go back and look at the Old Testament prophecies and the promises to Israel, God says to them in Ezekiel and in Jeremiah, he says to them, I'm going to erase your sin one day. I'm going to wash you clean, sprinkle you with clean water. I'm going to forgive all your sins and I'm going to take my spirit and put it within you. And I'm going to cause you to obey my commands. There's a promise to Israel. But Israel hasn't experienced it yet. But what has he done for us? We weren't raised with the law. We weren't raised with the commandments and, and all the, uh, the sacrificial system and all the stuff and the covenants that Israel was. But by his grace, he just all of a sudden just started offering people like you and me who didn't grow up Jewish with all that stuff. And he says, um, by the way, uh, the one that I was pointing to all along in the sacrificial system, the one I was pointing to all along in the manna and the water from the rock, 
it's this guy Jesus. He's God himself. And he took on human form. And he lived without sin. And God punished himself instead of you and I. And he rose from the dead to show that he's the one who has authority over life and death. And if you Gentiles would just simply believe that you are a sinner and you're guilty of, you deserve hell. But by God's grace, if you just believe that what Jesus did covers you, you'll be given eternal life. And right today, if, if, you're not, if you're here today and you're not saved, I can make you a promise. If you ask Jesus to save you today and you trust him as your savior, you know what he'll do right now? He'll erase all your sin. He'll wash you clean. He'll put his spirit within you and cause you to obey his commands. It's given to us right now. What one day the Jews are going to experience at the end of the tribulation period when they come to faith is ours now. And Paul says he's done this to make Israel jealous. Keep reading. Verse 12, now if their trespass, the Jews' trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles, Paul says, inasmuch that I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. Now, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Now, we're going to jump over the next verses where he talks to the Gentiles about thinking we're better than them. Don't fall into that trap. But now look at verse 25 of Romans 11, 25 through 32. Paul says, lest you be wise in your own sight. I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, at the end of that, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from where? Zion, that's Jerusalem. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they're enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they're beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. There's a one world kingdom coming again. And it's going to affect not only the whole world, but especially the Jews. That one world power is going to make a covenant. We'll get to that when we get to chapter 9 of Daniel later in our study. We'll reference it a little bit tonight. But that one world power is going to make a covenant with not just Israel, but the many. And Israel's going to think they're okay for a little period of time. And then three and a half years into that covenant, that, that horn that came up, and his boat haughty things and blasphemous things, that horn that Daniel saw in his vision that kind of freaked him out. That horn we know in time is going to become the Antichrist. And he's going to go after Israel like you wouldn't believe. We're going to look at some of those prophecies tonight. But understand that right now, the world stage is being set for that one world government to come into power again. We're in the last, I believe, from prophecies and from the scriptures, we're in the last of the last days. The question is... Are we going to be faithful during these days to be patient for God's plan? 
Like I said, we're going to jump over verses 9 through 14, come back to it next week. But we saw that as Daniel was looking at the ten horns of the fourth beast, another horn, an eleventh one, came up among them and removed three horns, three kings in the process. So was this eleventh horn one of the ten kings? Make sure you're tracking with me here. No, it wasn't. It wasn't one of the original ten kings. It was an eleventh that came up. And three of the original ten somehow are going to be removed in the process. But that 11th horn is all of a sudden going to be greater than all the rest of the kings in power, and everybody's going to give their authority over to him. Daniel really wanted to know more about this 11th horn, and he asked someone that he saw in his vision who was standing there around God's throne. And as we saw earlier in Daniel 9, I'm sorry, Daniel 7, verses 19 through 27, this is what he was told. So go with me real quick to Daniel 7. Look again at verses 19 through 27. Daniel 7, verse 19, Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head, another horn that came up before which three of them fell, and the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and it seemed greater than its companions. And as I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. Keep that in mind. We're coming back to that later tonight. Until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. Now as for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and he shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. Anybody have any idea how long that is? That's three and a half years. One time is one year. Times is two years. That's three total. And then half a time, three and a half years. Or 42 months. Or as Revelation puts it in other places, 1,260 days. Folks, God tells us over and over and over very clearly how long his authority is going to be. Oh, he's going to come on the scene and sign a covenant and make an agreement with people for a seven-year period. But at the midpoint of that seven-year period, which is three and a half years, he's going to declare himself to be God and go after everyone, especially the Jews. Other writers of the Bible were given visions and prophecies about this 11th horn. We now know his name. We don't know his name in the sense of who he is, but we know him as called what? The Antichrist. He's the Antichrist. If you will look at, don't do that now, but look at Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. When Jesus begins to open the seals of the tribulation period, after the church has been taken to go to be with him, and that last seven-year period prophesied for Israel, again, when we get to Daniel 9, that'll make more sense to you. When that last seven-year period prophesied for Israel happens, the first seal is opened, and Jesus opens it, and this rider comes out on a white horse pretending to be like Christ. And it's the Antichrist. And then there's going to come wars and rumors of wars and all that stuff. If you parallel the opening of the seals in Revelation 6 with Matthew 24, you're going to find that when Jesus in Matthew 24 is asked by the Jews, when will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age, he lays out for them the tribulation period. There's going to be Antichrist. There's going to be wars, rumors of wars. There's going to be pestilences and diseases. There's going to be death. 
And then he goes on and he says, and when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, don't miss that, by the way. When we look at that, when we get to Daniel 9, what Jesus is talking about is in Daniel 9 and Daniel 11. Jesus, when he was on the earth, referred to it as still future, right? When you see what's coming afterwards, See, a lot of people over the years have tried to say that the abomination of desolation was Antiochus Epiphanes, and that's already been fulfilled by Antiochus Epiphanes, because if you know anything about a Jewish history, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, who was from the Roman uh, company and Roman kingdom, he actually went into the temple, put a statue of Zeus in there as well, offered pigs on the altar, and kind of messed things up. People said, oh, and that, that, that beast was referred to as pointing to Antiochus Epiphanes. Well, here's how we know it's not. Oh, Antiochus Epiphanes is a picture of what's to come. But how we know it's not is because Jesus, years after Antiochus Epiphanes, said it's still future. Oh, and we already read in Revelation chapter 17, in the days of those kings, it's still future. It's still future. Go with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's take a look at what Paul had to say about this horn, the 11th horn. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, look at verses 1 through 12. It says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him. Isn't that cool? We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken or in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us that the, to the effect that that day of the Lord has already come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or, or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what's restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Now the coming of the lawless one, the Antichrist, is by the activity of Satan. We already saw in Revelation, Satan gave, the dragon gave him his power. With all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So Paul gives us a little bit more information now. Paul's the one that tells us that when this lawless one comes on the scene, he's actually going to step into a wing of the temple, declare himself to be God. We already saw in the prophecies that he's going to try to change the times and the laws and make it all about him and blaspheme God. By the way, is there a temple in Jerusalem right now? Oh, they're definitely planning on one. They're, they're ready. By the way, there's a group that's already already got the blueprints and all the materials. They're just waiting for the permission. But don't you think the Arabs are going to have a little problem with them rebuilding the temple? And oh, Again, don't try to figure out how it's all going to play out. But understand this. The prophecy said that this individual, before he's really revealed to be who he really is, is going to come 
and confirm a covenant with the many. Go with me real quick to Daniel chapter 9. Let me just show you one verse. Go to Daniel chapter 9. Look at verse 24. Sorry, verse 27. Daniel 9, verse 27. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. That's one seven-year period. And for half of the week, he'll put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So here the prophecy said that this individual is going to come and he's going to make a strong covenant with many for one seven-year period. But halfway through that seven-year period, we now know it's 42 months or 1,260 days or three and a half years, he's going to step in, as Paul said, the wing of the temple, declare himself to be God. Folks, I don't know if we'll ever see the temple rebuilt before Jesus takes the church home. We may. But I can tell you this much, we won't be here when the Antichrist is revealed because we just read it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that he won't be revealed. Lawlessness is already at work, but the man of lawlessness won't be revealed until he is taken out of the way. Who's the he who's restraining the man of lawlessness? The Holy Spirit. By the way, haven't we been sealed by the Holy Spirit? Hasn't he promised to always be with us, never leave us, nor forsake us? So when the Holy Spirit takes off, who gets to go with him? We do. And I'm going to show you as we close tonight that we won't be here when all this stuff begins to happen. But Jim, who are the saints that he conquers? We'll get to that in just a second. Go to Daniel chapter um, 8. We've just seen in Daniel 9 that this individual, the horn, is going to make a strong covenant with many and then break it halfway through. Look at Daniel chapter 8, verses 23 through 26. In Daniel chapter 8, verse 23, And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold-faced, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. By the way, whose power is it? Satan's power. We've already seen that said two or three different times. And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand. And in his own mind, he shall become great. And without warning, he shall destroy many. And he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, which is Jesus, and he shall be broken. But by no human hand. And that sound like Daniel's writing? We saw that earlier in Daniel 2. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision for it refers to many days from now. So Daniel was told more about this guy and it matches up with all the other prophecies, but Daniel's told not going to happen in your lifetime. It's going to be many days from now. Go to chapter 11. Chapter 11 of Daniel, verses 36 through 39. By the way, when we get to Daniel 11, I will show you specifically how verses uh, 20. Uh, 9 through uh, 37, uh, sorry, through 35 are actually referring to Antiochus Epiphanes very specifically. But when we get to verse 36, the prophecy jumps to the Antichrist. Daniel chapter 11, verse 36, and the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every God and shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper till indignation is accomplished. 
For what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the god of the fortresses instead of these, a god whom his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign god. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many, and he shall divide the land for a price. What land is he going to divide? The land of Israel. Oh, so you're telling me that there actually might be a two-state solution in the future? I wouldn't be surprised. Trust me, it's something I'm praying against and voting against, but it's going to happen. There's going to be a division of the land. It already has been for many, many years. Actually, folks, if you ever did a real study of all the land that God promised Abraham and how far it goes and how far the land of Israel will be when God comes and sets up his kingdom and the fullness of what he promised them is theirs during the millennial kingdom, there'll be no Jordan. There'll be very no Syria. Those areas are actually going to have already been given to Israel, but the land's already been divided for many times. But don't be surprised if a two-state solution comes on the scene. And maybe even to the point that the Arabs say, you can even rebuild your temple. We don't know how this is all going to play out specifically. All we're to do is know what God has said. Because I think Daniel said this under the power of the Holy Spirit. The dream is certain and the interpretation is sure. Now, as we've seen some scripture over the years, the church won't be here during the tribulation period. So who are the saints that have seen the Antichrist, that we have seen the Antichrist conquering? We've seen it in Daniel. We've seen it in Revelation. Who are the saints that the Antichrist is conquering? Very good. Very few people see that. It's, it's definitely the tribulation saints, meaning there are, are Gentiles included as well, and I'll show you that. But it's really the Jews who are starting to come to faith. It's, listen, it's mainly the Jews who are starting to come to faith during the tribulation period. That's referred to in 2 Thessalonians 2.1. It's very, definitely, I can talk about that. Listen, listen closely. The Bible says that at the beginning of the tribulation period, well, go to, go to Revelation chapter 7. Don't just take my word for it. Go to Revelation chapter 7 and look at verse 1. At the beginning of the tribulation period, before any of the stuff that happens on the earth and the devastation begins to happen. Something has to happen first. Look at Revelation chapter 7. Look at verses 1 and following. John says, After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth. Remember, we've already seen in our study the four winds are judgment that's coming. That no wind might blow on the earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe, listen, of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 from Reuben, 12,000 from Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin were sealed. Before any of the devastation of the seven-year tribulation period even begins, 
There's going to be 144,000 Jews who are sealed. We find out later in chapter 14 of Revelation that these Jews are actually young men who have not been with women, and their sole purpose is to serve the Lord and to be his witnesses. As one preacher put it years ago, there's going to be 144,000 Billy Grahams that are Jewish who are going to go out over the whole globe to be telling people about Jesus. Remember your homework from two weeks ago? Remember how we looked at the prophecy in Ezekiel 37? about how the prophecy of the dry bones and how the, this is the whole, whole house of Israel and how they miraculously have become a nation again, but the breath of God's not in them yet. And he was told, prophesy to the breath. And we've, I've been telling you to begin praying for the nation of Israel, for them to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And just as God was drawing the Jews, but then he started moving his drawing away from the nation of Israel to the Gentiles. And we saw, and we talked about this before, that when all of a sudden a group of Greeks wanted to see Jesus and they went and told Andrew, and Andrew went and got Philip, or they went and Andrew got Philip, and then Philip went and got Andrew, and they went and told Jesus when he was told that a group of Greeks are wanting to see him, Jesus says it's time to die. He recognized that the Father was moving his drawing from the Jews to the Gentiles, and it was time to go to the cross. And I believe without question that God's going to move his drawing back to the nation of Israel again as the time of the Gentiles comes to a close. And folks, we to be praying for that. Well, Jim, doesn't the Bible say pray for the peace of Jerusalem? Yes. Listen, the only way real peace is going to happen in Jerusalem is when Jesus comes back. But Jesus won't come back until after this last kingdom is in power. And he won't, the last kingdom won't be in power until the time when the Jews start turning to Jesus. Because at the beginning of that seven-year period, there's going to be 144,000 Jews from the, all the tribes of Israel that go over the whole globe and if you were to read, we're not going to take the time to look at it, but go look at the very next verses. John sees this great multitude around the throne from all the tribes and nations. And, and, and he, he's asked, who are these people? And he goes, you know. And he's told, these are those who have come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes in the blood of the lamb and they serve him. And no longer will the sun scorch them, which was going on during the tribulation period and all this stuff. And they'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There's going to be many from every other nation that comes to faith in Jesus during the tribulation period because of the preaching of the Jews. But let me ask you this question. Were there Old Testament saints? Are they a part of the church age? No. Yes, in the sense that God's plan is that the Old Testament saints and the church age and the tribulation saints are all going to be included in God's ultimate plan. Salvation's always been faith by faith alone in God's provision for man's sin. But there's Old Testament saints, there's church age saints, and there's going to be tribulation saints. And like you brought out, and very few people see this, the tribulation saints that are really going to be getting the worst of it are going to be the Jews who come to faith during this time. Go with me to Jeremiah chapter 30. Look at verses 4 through 7. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 4. These are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Thus says the Lord, we have heard a cry of panic, of terror, and no peace. Ask now and see, can a man bear a child? Why then do I see every man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Remember how Jesus in Matthew 24 said this is just the beginning of the birth pains? Why has every face turned pale? Alas, that day is so great, there is none like it. It is a time of distress for who? For Jacob. Who's Jacob? Israel. Yet he shall be saved 
out of it. Jump over to Isaiah chapter 4. Look at Isaiah chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Isaiah 4, verses 2 through 4. In that day, Old Testament prophecy language about the last days. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and the honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy, everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the blood stains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning. Then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day and smoke and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a canopy. There'll be a booth for shade by day from the heat and for a refuge and a shelter from the storm and rain. Look at this. During that time when Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom all over the earth, but centered in Jerusalem, just like he did in the Old Testament with the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud, he's going to have his Shekinah glory be over that whole area. Has that happened yet? But it's coming. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Go to Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 13. Look at verse 1 and then verses 8 and 9. Zechariah 13, verse 1, on that day, there it is again, there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. Jump down to verse 8. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. It's going to be a tough time for the nation of Israel during this time period. Oh, at the beginning of the tribulation period, they're going to think they're okay because they got this covenant that they've signed and everything looks good. But halfway through it, that... 11th horn is going to reveal himself to be who he really is. And he's going to go after the Jews hard. And anyone who believes in Jesus. The Bible actually says at that point, during that last three and a half years, if you don't take the mark of whoever he is on your wrist or your forehead, you won't be able to eat, buy, or sell. Folks, it's going to be bad. And two-thirds of the Jews are going to be killed during this process. But one-third is going to escape. God's going to purify them. But they're going to come to faith in him. And the Bible actually says they're going to look on him whom they have pierced. And they're going to mourn and they're going to weep. And what he's given us already, just by faith alone, is going to be theirs on that day. And all Israel that survives will be saved. Every Jew that makes it through the tribulation period is going to be saved. It's going to be an awesome thing. Folks, we got a responsibility. It's to pray for God to draw his people to himself. Remember how all this stuff was given to Daniel to see and to write about? Let me ask you a question. Uh, was it going to happen in Daniel's lifetime? Then why did God waste his time telling Daniel? Because he had a responsibility to pass it on to people like us. The book of Revelation has been given and written to the churches but we're not going to be here for most of it. 
But we have a responsibility, like Daniel, to share it. The difference, though, is John was told, Daniel was told, seal up the words of the prophecy. They won't happen until the time of the end. Let me show you what I'm talking about real quick. Go to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel was told, seal it up. It's not going to happen until the time of the end. Daniel 12, look at verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael, the great, the great prince, who is charge of your people, that's the Jews, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. And buddy, are we not living in those days when knowledge has increased and man's able to go all over the globe? But... John, we're not going to take the time to show you there, but John was told when he was given the prophecies that parallel with Daniel, John was told in AD 95, 96, don't shut up the words of the prophecy. The time is near. And we've been given a responsibility to know what's going to be happening and to tell people there's a time coming onto the earth. It's going to happen. And you don't want to be a part of it, and you don't want to be here. And there's a way you can escape it. And I'll close tonight with one last verse. Go to Revelation chapter 3. You remember as Jesus wrote chapters 2 and 3 to the churches, and each of the message to the seven churches, he said, Hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural. And he makes a promise in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, that is to all of us. Look at Revelation 3.10. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I'll write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven. And my own new name. He who has got an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Folks, the Bible's very, very clear that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to take the church and remove us. And then that last period for Dan, that Daniel says was for Israel and Jerusalem is going to happen on the whole globe. There's a couple other places that talk about this. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers. Or to be ignorant like the rest of men who grieve but have no hope. He says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, we also know that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him, those who have already gone to be with him. And we who are alive are going to be caught up and we'll go be with him in the clouds and go meet him in the air. What did Jesus say in John chapter 14? He says, in my father's house are many rooms. They already exist. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me where I am. Where's the context? There. He's going to come and get us to go be with him. And then he's going to finish the hour of trial that has been prophesied is coming on the whole globe to test those who are on the earth. Are there going to be those who come to faith during that time? Yes. But they're going to go through a hard time. 
But Jesus has already said to the church, you're not going to be a part of that. I have a different plan for you. I'm going to take you to be with me. And then I'm going to bring you back with me when I come and set up my kingdom on the earth. We'll get into all that next week. Can't wait to show you the coming kingdom on the earth. I love you. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week.